in one holy moment, everything in that airport was transformed. You know, it occurs to me when, when Jesus is uh, teaching and preaching and you know, engaging with people, and, and uh, we see this throughout the Gospels, people coming to Jesus, rich young ruler, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And to that person, Jesus said, uh, well, you know the commandments. And uh, this bright young guy said, in fact, I do, and I've been keeping them my whole life. And Jesus said, all right, well then for you, just get rid of all your uh, money and property and you're in. Come follow me. And the man uh, walked away sad, hanging his head. Uh, Nicodemus came with similar questions. And this morning, others. So when, when we hear Jesus finally say it, everybody gathered, unless your righteousness exceeds that, of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That just put the bar out of reach for everybody. That's what he did. In fact, in the end, that's what he always does. When we come asking, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life, Jesus always puts it just out of our reach. Hold on to that. Uh, several years ago when I preached on this gospel lesson, you are the salt of the earth, light of the world, I, I went over to Wendy's and I asked to talk to the manager. And I, I said, hey, could I have like, you know, 500 packets of salt? And I said, it's for the big church right there up the road. I promise I'll tell them all where I got it. And, and then he was quite accommodating. And so I, we handed out a little packet of salt to everybody that morning. Uh, we're not doing it today, but we did that so that we might be reminded later in the week uh, that Jesus said to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. It's, it's sort of a weird thing to say. It wasn't even not weird then. And this time around, I want to look at this text from a, a different angle to dig deeper what Jesus might have meant. Probably most of us can guess this morning what the number one use of salt that's produced in the United States anyway is, is in our country. Can you guess? Shout it out. Yes, thank you. I was hoping at least one of us on a day like this would get it for de-icing roads, just slightly over 50%, if that statistic uh, remains true, uh, used to de-ice roads. Of course, that was not true in Jesus' uh, day. Uh, less than 10% of all salt produced here is used in what we, we call table salt. And even so, most of us know that we probably have too much salt in our diets, whether or not we ever add any uh, to that which is already existing in most of our foods. The psalmist says, you will not allow your Holy One to see decay in the 16th Psalm. And people discovered early on that there is something about salt that arrests decay and corruption. And so it was almost like magic. They found that if they used salt. They could preserve food for times of famine, so it was literally a substance that could determine life or death. They discovered that it was a purifying agent, so salt became highly prized. Most of the ancient cities of Italy were founded on salt works, including Rome, 
Romans used it to pay their, their soldiers, we are told. Uh, the Latin sal, from which we derive salary and from which we derive the, uh, the saying, uh, that person is certainly worth their salt. Huh? They're worth their pay. In the ancient world, salt was one of the most common factors that provoked and, and financed wars. So it's all kind of historical trivia about salt, but it helps us understand what Jesus is saying when we realize how highly prized was salt. Centuries before Jesus, Plato said that salt was dear to the gods. And centuries prior to that, Homer said that salt is a divine substance. So when Jesus is talking to a kind of undistinguished group of followers, a kind of motley crew of, of followers. He says that to protect the world from decay and, and corruption and to purify and to bring flavor and, and zest, God is sending you. Uh, you are the salt of the earth. You. That's what Jesus says. And it's hard for most of us to believe. I mean, it's hard to wrap your mind around that. We are the salt of the earth. You know, it sounds, for one thing, it sounds like a lot of pressure. Huh? It sounds like a lot of responsibility. So I think one thing we should take note of is that salt does not exist for its own sake. Generally speaking, salt's purpose is to lose itself in service to, to something else, to make it better. This is how Jesus so often describes the kingdom of God. Crops up in the most unlikely places, as we've been following in Matthew. Blessed are the poor. The poor? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who grieve. Really? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who show mercy. None of these things tend to bring fame or fortune in this world, then or now. Jesus continues making surprising Choices, choosing tax collectors, choosing women, choosing uneducated fishermen, choosing you, choosing me, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. A couple days ago, I was at the Nema Orphanage up on the lower slopes of Mount Kilimanjaro, a place that we've supported for many years. And there, uh, running that orphanage is Sister Agnes, one of the Lutheran sisters. And she's, Sister Agnes is a uh, she has kind of a, a stern, serious countenance about her, but she's, she is so deeply committed, a faithful person. Uh, she, she cares for these babies and children. And, you know, the, the orphanage was conceived as a place where a child who has lost both of their parents to, to the AIDS pandemic or to malaria could be received as a newborn even and cared for for the first couple of years of life and then returned to surviving family members. But as time has gone on, as the years have passed, there are more than a few instances where there were no identified extended family willing or capable of taking the child back. So now the, the baby is a two and three and now they're four and now they're five and now what are we going to do? Well, so we helped to build a kindergarten there. So, they're, they're, so some of them are going to kindergarten. Some of them are older than that. We were at the airport waiting to come home, and my friend Ed was looking at some of his pictures, and he was seeing Sister Agnes, and he said, you know, every time I'm around her, I feel like I'm in the presence of an actual angel. And I know what he means. We were with Faustina. Faustina was 
devastated by a spinal cord injury as a child. You can imagine how difficult that would be here, but if you can at least allow yourself to imagine what it might be like there. Faustina now, as an adult, is determined and committed to being there for people, women especially, because they face exceptional challenges on so many levels, culturally and just because of the, the physical nature of the environment in which they live. She wants to be there for these people immediately after having been devastated by spinal cord injury so that she can show them with her own existence, her own, her own story, that hope can return, that life can be joyful. And so she, she gets herself over to the big KCMC hospital when she hears that someone has come in uh, after an accident and she just wheels herself into their room. And oftentimes they are so angry and so devastated and so in despair that they just throw her out and she just keeps coming back and coming back until they will listen to her and she will share with them, this is how your life can go on. And this is how you will be able to use the bathroom. And this is how you will be able to do this and do that. I'll show you. I'll stay with you. I'll, I'll be with you. And she created an organization. It's called Sangambili, which means moving forward, always moving forward. And, the, and, and she gathers little small groups, little, little peer groups in villages around the area so they can support one another. It's just the holiest, most amazing outreach. And she is so completely devoted to it. Faustina often joins us for worship, so if you're watching now, God bless you. With so many of these people, as we visit and experience and partner with them, they are light and salt, serving in a hidden place, a place that is literally defined by darkness. When I think of Tanzania in my mind, it's always dark, because as soon as the sun sets, darkness descends, and all of the streetlights don't come on, and, and uh, just small cooking fires, and it has its own smell and its own feel. And we are reminded by all of them and by this scripture that we are not here as the church to create a place that meets our own needs and matches our own preferences or to reclaim some glorious past or even to fashion some preferred future. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. Salt does not exist for its own sake. It doesn't exist for itself. It enhances, it, it preserves, it heals. Jesus also says that you are the light of the world. The light can show the way when the path is dark and uncertain. And light can also be seen from far away to guide the way home. The light of a star guided the Magi to the Christ child. And the church has been both these kinds of light for many throughout all of the centuries. We should notice that Jesus is not giving a command here, you know? Get salty, will you? Try to be saltier. He's not telling us to try to be something that we're not. He's not saying, shine brighter. See if you can't just be a light in this dark world. Jesus isn't arguing us into some condition that isn't already the case, but I do think that Jesus is telling us to get out there. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. 
Go out into the world. Be with people. Love them. Learn from them. Just be yourself out there. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Never for your own sake. Always for the sake of your neighbor in need. And oftentimes your neighbor in need will be that light for you. I think we miss some of the true richness of our Christian faith because it comes so naturally for us to settle on a religion that is dominated by responsibility rather than relationship. Jesus tells us that we are salt and light and our instinct is to figure out why our bulb does not burn brighter. We start comparing our own efforts of being light to the world and the salt of the earth with those around us, other people, other churches. Worse than that, we start defining the community of faith by these same metrics. It becomes about how good we are or how pure or how theologically sound or the quality of our liturgies or our programs. And the light is all turned in on ourselves rather than a beacon showing the way home or a searchlight finding the lost. Jesus tells us a story about the sower where some of the seed falls on rocky soil and some of the seed falls on thorny soil and some of the seed falls on fertile soil And right away, we're trying to figure out how to make ourselves better soil rather than marveling at this God who's out there flinging life all over the place. And all this grace gets twisted back into law. We started our long journey home on Friday night and uh, making our way through the sort of inconceivable a system of security checks at the Kilimanjaro International Airport. First, you arrive and you get out in the darkness and you go up and to get into the building, they want to see your passport and a printed ticket. Well, who prints tickets out anymore? It's always on our phones, right? So you have to kind of convince them that that's a real thing. And okay, you can come in the building. Okay, I'm in. Well, no, now you got to shove all your stuff through the, the scanner. And, uh, you know, they have lines coming from left and right. And, that, you know, the whole thing drives me completely crazy. So this is just one part kind of venting and confession. But so now you're in the building. Okay, I'm in the, I'm in the airport. Good. Now you have to get, you know, your bags checked. So that's another process. It's similar to the last. And now you have a boarding pass and your, your bag is on its way, hopefully home. But... I always wonder, okay, I'm good, now I'm ready, not quite, now there's another area you got to go to and fill out a little uh, custom slip. They, they, it probably started as a eight and a half by 11, but they condensed it down to a little thing, so the print is microscopic and there's no room to write anything, but at least they have pens there that have no ink in them, so uh, <laughs> once I get that all filled out, I'm ready to go. I've got my boarding pass. Put that all in my passport. All right, I'm ready. I'm in. Not quite. Uh, now you have to go through, wait in another series of weird lines, and 
hand this stuff to a guy behind the glass and have your fingerprints taken. And now you're, you're through, right? Well, almost, not quite. One more time. I think they maybe inherit these old uh, uh, screening machines from other countries or something. So when they get them, they plug them in and put them somewhere and make people use them. This is how I envision it in my head. So one more to get uh, through to the holding pen, which is the kind of gate area before you finally walk across the dark tarmac and climb the steps to the plane. So it's at that final security check after all the, those preceding. And there are three uniformed security personnel there overseeing this process. And I notice as I'm, my turn's coming up to put my carry-on up on the belt that one of them is singing to himself. And I notice, I hear the song, I, I recognize it. It's a worship song that I know from worshiping in the Lutheran churches in Tanzania. And I notice that the other two pick up on it, and so they start singing along with him. And so the three of them are kind of all of a sudden in church, and, they're, and one of them, they're singing loud enough so they hear each other. And uh, so one of them is throwing in some harmonies. It's just lovely in that, you know, and while they're working and ushering people through the security line. So when I got my bag, I looked up at them and I said, Buona Yesu Asafiwe. And they all looked up as if they had been caught and smiled big smiles and look at me I, uh, and, and responded as you do in Tanzania with an amen. They, I said what I had said was, uh, praise the Lord Jesus. Buona Yesu Asifiwe. And in one holy moment, everything in that airport was transformed from those in authority, uniformed and set aside to scrutinize foreigners in a cold government building to a little praise and worship service when we all paused and looked up and saw the light in each other's eyes and recognized in that moment that we were, in fact, brothers and sisters in Christ. Because that's the way things are. Jesus says, no matter how things may appear in the world, in your own world, no matter how they may appear to be otherwise, you are the light of the world. And you are the salt of the earth. No matter where you go. And this is a joy to behold and a gift from God. And so back to where we started, Jesus says uh, to those gathered, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we go, whoa. <laughs> but notice what he did right there. If anybody was positive, if anybody had no question whatsoever as to their own status in the kingdom of heaven, it was scribes and Pharisees. So. I mean, these guys devoted their entire existence to following the letter of the law. But Jesus said in that statement that strikes us as daunting, if not, you know, devastating, that the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees 
isn't working for them either. It's got to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So now we're all in the same place. We are all stuck. Not good enough. I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. This is the point. This is the good news. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. Scribes and Pharisees can't get that done. Nor can you or I. So along comes the Christ to say, I'll do it. And I'll carry you. So I don't know how you feel this morning. I don't know if it is well with your soul or it is not. I don't know if you feel worthy of a place in God's kingdom. I only know that this God in Christ claims you, forgives you, and carries you. So we can learn this phrase in case you ever find yourself wandering uh, lost in Tanzania. This will certainly come in handy. It is Buana, you say. Yesu asifiwe. Buana Yesu asifiwe. Praise the Lord Jesus. And you will hear from someone if you say that out loud wherever people are gathered. Could be at the airport. <laughs> you will hear someone say, Amen. And that someone will also embrace you as a brother or a sister and do anything they can to serve you. So, have we been forgiven and claimed and now sent to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. So we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.